The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. I'm joined this evening as a special extra treat by Michael Begram, Practicing Managing Partner at Begram's Attorneys, Labour Law Specialist here in Cape Town. This isn't Michael's normal first Monday of the month. We thought we'd give you a little treat in the middle of the month this time. Michael, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Hi, good evening and thank you for having me. It's quite a treat for me to do something on an extraordinary basis. Well, we won't be taking calls this evening, I'm, I'm very sorry to say, but because we've got lots of information we'd like to share with you and we have so many emails and phone calls in Michael is usually here that we never get around to talking about other things that Michael would like to discuss. So this evening we're going to be talking about different types of employment as well as time limits. And we'll explain what those are all about in a moment. Michael, okay, so first of all, let's start with different types of employment. Thank you. Yes, Corin. There's lots of myths and there are lots of discussions out there as to what actually constitutes employment, first of all. And whether, in fact, people are employed on permanent basis, on a part-time basis, a temporary employee, whether, in fact, they're independent contractors or whether they are outsourced employees. So there are lots of those terms going out there. And we do need to try and break some of those myths. And I think the easiest way to break the myths is to specifically outline what the labor law says. Employment of an individual is just that whether they and you can give them a term whatever term you want whether they're part-time flexible um, short-term those are all employees and those employees doesn't matter what you call them adhere to the rules and regulations of our labor law in particular they are governed by the basic conditions of employment act which is the basis of all employment law in south africa they're also governed by the Labor Relations Act, and they have to be registered as employees. So we can take the example that um, I like to use, or what I was as a student. I was a employee at the Spur restaurant on a Saturday evening. I used to come in and work for four or five hours on a Saturday evening. That's all I did. And no one saw me as an employee. I didn't have many rights in those days. It was... That was, I'm, I'm a little bit older than, than most of us. And in those days, I wasn't governed by the new and very posh Labor Relations Act. But in essence, if you are a person that does three or four hours a week and you're doing it on a regular basis, then you are an employee and you have all the rights and regulations governing you. And in fact, I would be entitled to sick leave. I would be entitled to, to normal leave. And I would be entitled to being treated as any other employee gets treated. And in fact, what we're expecting now with some of the new regulations and the changes to the labor law, we're expecting that I would also get the same sort of pay on a pro rata basis, obviously. I would get the same sort of pay that someone who is a waiter right throughout the week. So despite the fact that all I did was four hours a week, I would get that same pay. Now, one then has to differentiate between that sort of employment and someone who has employment for, say, six months. Now, most of those employees, you would call them short-term employees because they're not permanent. In other words, if I get a letter of appointment and I enter my contract of employment with my employer, normally there's no end to it. Obviously, most employment today has a 
an end date in terms of their retirement. But those are open-ended employment relationships. What we're talking about here is someone who gets a contract. Someone who comes in and is a specific task to fulfill. In other words, I'm employed to build the wall. And we all know that the wall is going to take six weeks to build. That is a short-term employee um, or contractual in, in, uh, employee. And in terms of that employment, you still qualify. And let's not get the myths wrong. The myths think that you are somehow different to a normal employee. But you're not. You still qualify for all the rules and regulations, the rights and the duties that every other employee has. So if I'm there for six months, and if you, Karen, are there for 20 years, we should get the same rights as employees, which derive from the labor law, which the basis is the basic conditions of Employment Act and the Labor Relations Act, Workmen's Compensation, and all the other pieces of legislation that go with it, UIF, and whatever. Obviously, many employers say this creates problems for them because if Michael is coming there just for three months to do a specific task or is relieving another staff member that's gone off on a long leave, um, do we have to put him on the medical aid and the pension and all that sort of thing? Now, those can be negotiated with that particular employee uh, because of the short-term nature of why he's there. But I, being there for three months or six months or even one month, I'm entitled to be treated equally to every other employee in that environment. And once again, that is employment. That's an employment contract, and that I'm entitled to. The Basic Conditions of Employment Act also tell us that I'm entitled to a letter of appointment. I'm entitled to have this in writing. Not only entitled, but I must have it in writing. And so therefore, I have, again, all the rights and duties as laid out by the labor legislation. There are 11 pieces of labor legislation, and no employer or employee is ever expected to understand and know all the labor legislation. We're quite a heavily regulated society, industrial society. That being said, I know that as an employee, even if I've been there for one day, I have rights, I have duties, and I qualify as an employee. There is, of course, another type of, of employment, and, and this is a one a little bit more difficult, and I know the trade unions have been screaming about this for years, and that is independent contractors, and we can talk about that just now, and also people who get placed there by labor brokers. Now, this is a little bit more complicated, and I think we must talk a little bit about labor brokers because it's created so much hoo-ha uh, in the press and in the, on the radio. People don't like labor brokers. Now, let's, let's have a look what that is. I have very few skills. I'm Michael, I have very few skills, but I want to get into the labor market. One of the easiest ways of getting into the labor market is by getting hold of a labor broker, someone who goes to companies, another company goes to other companies and says, we can supply you with 20 laborers or 20 skilled people or whatever it is for how many people you need and for however long you need them. They then go out, the labor broker goes out and recruits people. They normally um, look at what they need. They normally then have a pool of people. People sign up and they give them CVs or whatever. 
and then they go around to various companies and say we have a hundred administrative employees that we can place there for however long you need them. Companies like this, because then they have no connection, no duties as it were, connected to the people that are supplied by the labor broker. I, Michael, will be employed by that labor broker, by the third party, and I will then be placed to work at ABC Garage. Let's say but I'm you're still entitled to all the things yep. like the unemployment, the medical aid, pension, but through the labor broker at this That's point. That's absolutely. Obviously, the laws have been having a look at this, and the trade unions have raised the point, and they've raised it on numerous occasions, especially over the last five years, where they are busy fighting about it, where they're saying that the labor brokers often don't give all those rights to those employees, and it's very difficult for a trade union to go back and trace who the labor broker is. And I can understand their argument. Of course, what has been put to the parliament, the African parliament, is that we should ban these labor brokers. But that, of course, throws the baby out of the bathwater because these people are performing a fantastic task. What are they doing? They are actually the broker, the person in between, who goes out and fires the job, especially for the individual who's never had a job or for the individual who's not qualified to do something or for someone who doesn't have a CV and a fancy background and a university degree and whatever. Those people have an, at least an opening into the workforce through the labor broker. And in fact, it's, it's reputed that there are more than two million people on the books of labor brokers, constantly looking for jobs, constantly putting their name forward. And all the time, they are actually found jobs and say, well, we found something for you over here for three months. Would you like it? This is how much they're going to pay per hour and whatever. Of course the law is getting tighter and of course people are saying that we need to watch the labor workers more carefully to see that they're paying the correct wage, correct salary, they're giving the proper amount of leave and the hours are correct and whatever. That is being monitored more and more carefully and in fact the law we're expecting to come in and monitor it on a very very careful basis um, and we're expecting the changes in about June of this year. June 2014, we're expecting changes to try and be much more careful about how the labor broker actually handles the situation. And the law probably will be good in the sense that you can now have recourse, you can have a fight with both the labor broker and the client, the person whose factory you're working at. Um, and you can find them both liable if, in fact, for instance, um, the labor broker hasn't paid you properly. You can look to the labor broker and his client. And you can also look to the labor broker and his client if you feel that you've been working too long hours and not getting the overtime pay. So on that basis, I think that the labor broking is being handled properly. Of course, it's it's a bit silly to say that there's a deeming provision and there's probably going to be in our law that after you've been placed through a labor broker over three months, you deemed to be an actual employee of the client. But that's what it's going to be. Uh, we just got to accept the law as it's going to be and work with that and make sure that the labor broker adheres to the law 
and adheres to the terms and conditions of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, the Labor Relations Act, etc., etc. So that is still an employee. You still qualify for that. Now, Corin, we often get calls on our first Monday night of the month where people phone in and they say they're working for labor brokers and they have hard stories. And these hard stories are often shameful. It makes you feel embarrassed um, being an employer that how people are treated in certain circumstances. But you have rights. And these rights are easily pursued. Um, we have one thing we can be proud about in South Africa today. We have very forward-thinking labor laws. We have quite an effective um, uh, Department of Labor. They have offices in most big cities, and they can be contacted any time during working hours, and people could find their contact details on your website. Now, uh, talking about basic conditions of employment, this would cover, when it talks about an employee, this covers people working through labor brokers, this covers employees. So if ever they want to know anything, they just need to get hold of the basic conditions of employment, which if they want, they can email me on law at safm.co.za and I will send you a copy of the basic conditions of employment. Now, if these changes are coming in June, I would imagine there would be an addendum, there would be some sort of... Absolutely, and we will have it on our website. We will as, have it, yes. As soon as it comes through, we will put it onto the website. We'll have a program to discuss it. Uh, we'll alert everyone. What we're doing now is that we're telling people that the changes are coming, um, that these changes are good for employees. Um, they're supposed to put in more protection plans for employees. But what I'm really trying to say, the nub of what I'm getting at, the basis, is that an employee is an employee is an employee. So it doesn't matter how it you work, you have the same rights. That's it. And it doesn't matter what you called. You're still an employee. Um, and it, it becomes really interesting because many contracts call people all sorts of names. You were going to talk about these contract workers now. I'm going to talk about that as well. But they have all sorts of names, and these names don't mean anything. What means something is your contract of employment, and what means something is that you are an employee. And with that comes a whole lot of rights that you have as an employee. You've got duties. You have to perform. You have to perform in terms of your contract. You have to be there. You have to work. You have to uh, be effective. You've got to produce. Otherwise, your employer is not going to be happy and they're probably going to dismiss you. But yes, we were going to talk about contract employees as well. And contract employees, once again, are uh, we, we're going to talk about independent contractors as well. Mm. But contract employees are people who are there on a specific contract for a specific amount of time and when that contract comes to an end, that's normally the end of your employment relationship. Now, obviously, a lot of employees say, but I don't understand that. Um, although I'm employed from day one to day 30 and I get that contract, am I entitled to, for instance, expect another contract? Uh, they've told me that I, well, they want me here for 30 days to build a wall around the house. But the wall isn't finished, and I know it's going to take another 30 days. Have I got an expectation of a renewal of this contract? And once again, that gives you a certain amount of rights as well. Because the minute that you can prove that there's some sort of expectation, 
then you can have that expectation, not only for the renewal of the contract, but under those amendments that we're talking about, the new changes that are coming in in June 2014, you might even have an expectation of a renewal on the basis of a permanent employment job. And so we need to watch that carefully as well. And many times employees phone my law office and say, I know I was a short-term employee, I know I was there on a contract, they did give me an impression that if I worked out all right or if there was still work or if the situation remained the same, that they would give me another contract. That impression we can pursue. And we can then take that to the Commission for Conciliation, Mediation, Arbitration or their bargaining councils and pursue it on the basis of there was an expectation. The phrase in law is a legitimate expectation. And one would have to test each case on its own merits. We need to talk also about independent contractors because this has become a sport um, that many employers play. They create an independent contractual relationship between themselves and the employer. And let me, let me try and outline that a little bit more. Karen, we get calls on a weekly basis from people who are driving trucks. Um, I, I think we are. We almost we have are a famous, program. Almost. Yeah, I think we're famous <laughs> in the trucking world, and we get people. I, I, I recall um, uh, about a month ago getting three calls from truckers sitting right here at this table, and each one said that they were an independent contractor. Now that can be tested as well because that's trying. That's an employer, a true employer, trying to say I'm actually not an employer. I've entered into an arrangement with you where you provide certain tasks, you invoice me for those tasks, I pay you, and we have no, there's no rights and duties. And if you don't do what I ask you to do in terms of my independent contractor's arrangement, then I just terminate the contract. I don't have to dismiss you because you're not an employee. Now, the law deals with that. And there are lots and lots of cases I can go right back to the early 70s in South Africa, 1970s. So we've been doing this for 50 years. We've been fighting about these cases. And more invariably, the law says that those people are actually employees. And you need to go back and look at that specific relationship. The receiver revenue, for instance, says that if you derive 75% of your income from one source, then we're going to deem you to be an employee, never mind what you called yourself. If, in fact, you form part of the organization, there are a whole lot of tests that one would look at. We're not going to go through all the tests because they're a bit boring. But what we can say is that, invariably, those relationships need to be tested. Invariably, those relationships actually are determined to be employment as opposed to independent contractor. I can't go to a domestic worker. I have a domestic worker at home, in my, my home. She, she's been working with me for over 30 years. And I can't go to her and I say, Sana, I actually want to create an independent contractor's relationship. And here's a contract. Um, you're going to come and you're going to provide service, cleaning services for me. And you're going to say to me, at the end of the month, here's an invoice for these services, and you're not going to control me in the manner in which you try and do that, and I'm going to be an independent contractor, and we both shake hands, and we agree to this. 
That's not, that's not by any stretch of the nation, that can't be true. Anyone flying overhead and having a look at that, you know, there was a test that one of the judges in the Labour Court once said that pretend you're a Martian and you're flying overhead and you're looking at this relationship between Michael and Sana and you're having a look at it very carefully and is that a true independent contractor's relationship or is it an employee-employer relationship? For instance, if I went to George and I phoned George and I said, look, my tap is dripping and I need you to come in and fix my tap. And he will then say to me, sure, um, I can do that. Uh, but I'm a bit busy at the moment. So yes, I know it's dripping and I'm sorry about that. But I will send one of my men across tomorrow morning to fix the drip. It's not a, not a badly running tap. He'll bring his own tools. We'll decide what has to be done. We'll decide when it has to be done. And we'll decide what we need to charge you. That's a true independent contractor's relationship. George doesn't have to come himself. He can send Jonathan, who will then come. And he'll look at the tap and he'll say, Ooh, this is going to be expensive. You've got uh, a washer missing. Uh, and I have to chop away some of the concrete over here. And you get out the way, you're interfering with me. That's a true independent contractor. And he will then invoice me afterwards, and then I'll phone him two days later, and I'll say, look, I think it's still leaking because the wall's wet. And he will then argue with me. That's a true independence. It's not the relationship that we have where between myself and the domestic worker, where she comes in daily at 8 o'clock, she has a look what has to be done, and she does that every day for the last 30 years. And we've tried to look at it as employers, and often many people come to me as an attorney, and they say, can we try and structure this as an independent contractor's relationship? And more often than not, I look at it and say, forget it, it's a sham. Well, where did this whole independent contractor thing come from in the first place? Well, you see, what it is, is our labor law is quite harsh for the employer. Our labor law is full of all sorts of duties for employers. So the employer himself or herself look at the situation and say, how do we avoid the labor laws? How do we skirt them, get around them? What do we do? You're a lawyer. You tell us what do we do to try and avoid all the rights and duties um, that are outlined in Basic Conditions of Employment Act, Labor Relations Act, etc., etc., and lawyers then say, well, there is a clause in the labor law that says you can have independent contractors that are truly not employees, and let's structure the employment contract on that basis. Of course, what's happened is that the arbitrators, um, the commissioners at the CCMA, at the bargaining councils, and the arbitrators, and also the judges in our labor courts have said we need to look through these contracts Yet you're not bound by the contract itself. What we're going to be bound by is the truth. And we're going to have a look and see whether these are truly independent contractors or whether they are employees. And it doesn't matter how much you try and stretch the imagination, and we try all the time to stretch the imagination. Those employees can be called what you want to call them. They are still truly independent contractors if they are independent contractors or they are employees if they are employees. And it doesn't matter what you call it. 
If you bring a cat and you put it on the table in front of me while I'm talking, and it's got a big sign on it saying, I'm a dog, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you tell me, and it doesn't matter how you try and dress this cat up as a dog, I'm going to look at it and say, that's a cat. And even if I sign a contract to say that I believe it's a cat, I mean a dog, it doesn't matter. Because a third, a, party, a third party is going to walk past and is going to say, lovely kitty. <laughs> the bottom line is, we need to have a look at the truth. We need to have a look at the relationship. And that is then judged in terms of that relationship, in terms of the truth, and in terms of what actually truly happens between the parties to determine that they are independent contractors, like I said with a plumber who said it's going to be very expensive and sends the invoice, or whether it's going to be Sana, who is my domestic worker, who performs, yes, she tells me what to do, but she performs daily and she earns 100% of her income from that job. And at the end of the day, I don't tell her what to do. I don't tell her where to clean, how to clean, whatever. She's been doing that. I can't teach a person how to suck eggs. That she knows. But I know that truly that relationship is an employment relationship. I know that I owe her all the rights that she has in terms of the basic conditions of Employment Act. Right. So if anybody's wanting to find out exactly what your rights are and a Apparently, according to Michael, it doesn't matter who you work for, where you work. If you're working, you're an employee. Correct. You're the cat in this equation. Correct. You're not the cat that's dressed up looking like a dog. Because it's not like that. Okay. And the, if you want a copy of those basic conditions of employment, just drop me a mail to law at safm.co.za and I will send you a copy of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act. And we, as Michael said, we'll pick up with this again in about June. Is it around about June that the new we, amendments we, hopefully are coming out? We do think it's around about June, but if anyone's really interested and they want to have a look at the tests that the courts have evolved, and it's now outlined in the Labor Relations Act, it's, it's under Section 200, Capital A. That specific um, outline over there tells you what is an employee. And it's worth reading, it's worth looking at, because there will be a lot of listeners out there whose bosses or employers or so-called employers have in fact told them that you're actually not employed here. You're an independent contractor and they make them put in that sham invoice every month. It, it, is, it is almost shameful and it's a common practice. I get these calls at my labor law practice here in Cape Town on a daily basis where people phone in and say, do I have any rights at all because... I did sign this contract, I wanted to get the job, I had to put in my invoices, otherwise they wouldn't have paid me. Um, am I complying with the labor laws and have I now destroyed my situation? They haven't. And look at Section 200A of the Labor Relations Act it's as part of the website. Just the one thing I must just point out is, again, you mentioned the labor brokers, the story with that. That mm. is not in force yet. That is hopefully coming when it comes to being able to take on both the employer and the labor broker. That's not in place yet. Not just yet, but you still have rights against the labor broker. Mm. So don't just throw up your hands and say, well, the law hasn't changed. There's nothing I can do. If, in fact, you are employed via a labor broker, you have rights and you can pursue those labor brokers. We are desperately trying to get rid of the Bucky Brigade, the people who pretend mm. that they're labor brokers. We are desperately trying to get rid of them. And I think they're slowly falling apart. So that most of the labor brokers out there are legitimate. 
there are many of the employment agencies and labor brokers that in fact are now doing whatever they can do to ensure that the law is adhered to. So, I mean, I, I have, in terms of my law firm, we have a relationship with the labor broker, and we're very carefully monitoring the situation that every single employee is treated properly, paid in accordance with the law, receives all their rights, they do perform all their duties, and that they as labor brokers are up, fine, upstanding employers, so that when it has to be tested, they can face up to the glaring light of any labor court and say, look, this is what I've done, and I'm proud that I've done it properly. Right. Well, it sounds promising for people involved with labor brokers. There's more things coming, as Michael said, in June. For the months of March and April, Specsavers is giving you 500 Rand off. That's right. Get 500 Rand off the cost of either your eye test, frame, or lens add-ons. You get to choose how to use this offer. Simply purchase an eye test and prescription spectacles to qualify for this limited promotion. Offer ends 30 April 2014. T's and C's apply. Spec savers for affordable eye care and a whole lot more. Do we have diverse and effective leaders in management or do we have people who barely manage to lead? NetBank and Partners bring you the Transformation Dialogues where a panel of industry experts will discuss and debate a range of issues regarding how we can create sustainable leadership opportunities across all levels of management. Join the conversation as we also explore the country's transformation within 20 years of democracy. Tune into SAFM at 9am on the 24th of April and let's make transformation happen. We are an authorized financial services and credit provider. Terms and conditions apply. Make things happen. Nedbank. If you're worried about your financial future, thinking about life insurance, saving for retirement, not sure about investing for you and your family, what about your children's education? To answer all your questions, join me, Brian Hirsch, Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock. Now, the other thing we were going to talk about, Michael, are time limits. And I think we have those, something else, those time limits are things that pop up all the time. Every single time we get calls from people to say that they think they've been treated harshly, wrongly or illegally, they phone us and we always ask, and it becomes a bit an old hoary bugbear, we always ask, well, when did this happen? And invariably people, well, it happened in 2008, um, about a decade ago it happened to me and I want to know if I can do anything about it. I'm not sure whether people go to sleep on the problem or whether they, at the time when the problem occurs, they decide they're not going to do anything about it and then after listening to SAFM, um, to the law report, they then say, whoa, that happened to me and I've got a right. The first reaction that I always have with people is, if you feel something is wrong, find out whether there's anything you can do about it. We all know, uh, we all have a feeling that we've been treated fairly or unfairly. You get that feeling. There is nothing stopping you phoning the helpline at the CCMA, for instance, and you'll find all those details on your website as well. There's nothing stopping you phoning the Labor Department and speaking to an inspector. Or if you don't have a telephone, go in there. There's a Labor Department in every city. CCMA is in most parts of the country. They have a helpline. They have people that are fully qualified that will help you at a desk. It costs you nothing. 
And my suggestion to people is, never mind the time limits, and we'll go through some of them now, but go and find out straight away to see if you've been treated properly, if you've been paid fairly, if things have happened in accordance with the law. Because the CCMA, the Commission for Conciliation, Mediation and Arbitration, have a start-off, a kick-off, by saying that if you've been dismissed, and let's take the most common case, it's 75% of the referrals coming to the CCMA, are single unfair dismissals. They're saying that you must react within 30 days of your last day of employment. And that's not very much time. And we had one week when you weren't on here, we were doing something else. I think we were doing our law clinic and some person phoned in and he said, what must he do? Because he'd been fired over the telephone. The Somebody from the company phoned him up and said, don't come back to work tomorrow. Your services are no longer required. And he's, I said, well, get yourself to the CCMA tomorrow yeah. immediately. It happened like a week or so before that. Right. And he, I think, was still in shock after this. But I said, now, immediately go to the CCMA immediately. That sort of thing. I mean, you can't do that, first of all. You can. You can. Of course, you can't dismiss over the telephone. No. I mean, that, that's wrong. Um, there are two problems that arise out of that, if he was speaking to me. What yeah, there was said. no reason. They just phoned him up. He said he still didn't know why he was being dismissed. Yeah, you know? well that, and I've told you how common that is. I get calls like that all the time. There are two things you have to do. First of all, there's one that you need to confirm that you've actually been dismissed and confirm in writing. So you email or telefax or give handwritten letter confirming and say, Dear Mr. So-and-so, I confirm that last night you phoned me and you said you dismissed. I confirm that I don't know why I'm dismissed. And I confirm that you don't want me to come into work today. And you have some proof that you've handed the letter over. You guys hand it, hand it in there, get some proof, or email it and get proof that it's been received. So at least they can't deny that that happened. That's the first thing. Mm. It often happens. I mean, often you see really bad employers. I mean, you, they, I should one day write a book called <laughs> When Employers Go Bad. <laughs> um, be what, a bestseller. Yeah, it would be a bestseller. And, I've, and I know that this happens. Employer phones up employee and says, Hi, Mike, um, you've been employed here for 12 years. We don't actually like you anymore. Cheers. Don't come back to work tomorrow. I then don't come back to work. I really am absolutely perturbed as to what happened. I don't know why it happened. And I go to the CCMA and I lodge a complaint. And the first thing the employer is going to say, But I don't understand what's going on here. I never dismissed him. He just hasn't pitched up for work. He's been on AWOL. He's away without leave. I'm actually shocked and we want to have a disciplinary hearing because he hasn't been here. Now, it's my word against his word, and then you've got real problems. So that's my first port of call before we even get to time limits, is actually get some proof that this actually happened. Or phone him back on your cell phone and put on record and say, but I can't, I can't believe what just happened. Why you told me that? I don't understand. Act ignorant. You're now recording it. There you are. So it would be my first chapter of why employers go bad or what happens when employers go bad. That's the first thing. The next thing is, of course, the time starts marching. It's like a stopwatch. At that point, you're not going into work tomorrow. That's day number one. Then the next day, you're still a bit bewildered and you're scratching your head and you're not really sure what happened to you. That's day number two. And these things catch up with you until you're on day number 32. And then it's too late. And then it's too late. And then you have to start applying for condonation. You ask the CCMA, the Commission for Conciliation and Mediation, to condone your late filing of this. But you have to have a pretty good reason for them to grant you the condonation. Yes, obviously the most important reason is that I didn't know. 
That's always the most important reason. And all of you listening to The Law Report with Michael on SAFM can't say that you didn't know because we keep telling you this. We keep telling and we keep nagging. We keep begging people. I beg all my clients. I said, go and register your complaint. We can always perfect the wording thereafter. The CCMA, for instance, has a form. It's called the LRA 7.11 application. Remember that, 7.11, there's a shop yes. out there. <laughs> Well, they have a form. That form is very simple to fill it in. If you don't know how to fill it in, there's an inspector over there at the CCMA, at the help desk, and they're pretty good. I was there today on the fifth floor in Cape Town at 78 Darling Street. And I went to go and have a look and to see people in the queues asking to fill in their forms LRA 7.11. And the people have the patience of Job. They, they sit there, they fill in the forms, the inspectors tell them, do this, do that. They give them advice. They say, what happened to you doesn't sound to be unfair. These are people who are trained specifically to do this, and they don't cost you a bean. The only cost you'll have is getting there. And yes, I understand if you lost a job, you don't want to spend money on a train or on a bus. But it is worth it, because you'll have years of heartache afterwards saying, why didn't I do it? Or when you phone in the law report and say, Corin, uh, this is what happened to me, can you believe it? Then you have someone in the background called Michael saying, how long ago did that happen? You say, it happened two years ago. And then he's going to say, but the, your, you, your case is hopeless. Is, every, is 30 days sort of like the cutoff period for anything that you need to complain well, about? not really. I mean, there are lots of other dates. I'm saying let's take the base. Let's take the minimum. So don't wait. Don't, don't, don't wait. leave it. Don't, don't leave it. I mean, we, we're talking about calendar days. We're talking about... It's not work days. It's no, calendar days. we're talking about calendar days in terms of Rule 3.1a of the CCMA. And it refers to consecutive days. Every single day is considered. And those days march on. Yes, I mean, obviously the, the CCMA will tell you that you can't fill in a form for condemnation. And if you've got a reasonable explanation, then yes, you can get it condoned. You've been in hospital. Um, you had a breakdown. Uh, often it happens where people can't, in, in some way, they can't actually face what happened to them. And they do have a break. Get a medical certificate. Do things to make sure that you, you expedite your case. And that you, in fact, go ahead with much, much to do as possible. Now, we have another particular problem. Many of the people that phone in belong to trade unions. And they go to the trade union actually quite expeditiously. And they say to the trade union organizer, I've been dismissed. Here's my letter of dismissal. This is what happened to me. They dismissed me because I joined the trade union. Now, that clearly is an unfair dismissal by any stretch of the imagination. It's, it's, a, it's an unfair dismissal. It's, it's automatically unfair. And the trade union then says, oh, this is terrible. We're going to take it up for you. Don't you worry. And shake hands and you leave and you're feeling very good about it. You need to follow up yourself and phone that trade union three days later. Two days We've later. had a couple of instances where it's gone like a year or two and Arrive. the trade union hasn't followed up. Now, what yes. happens in that case? Well, that's the problem because then you have a, a particular problem because the trade union now has messed up and then they can't explain. It becomes worse for you, in fact, because 
You can't say a trade union didn't know that they had to mm. expedite the matter in the 30 days. That you can't say. So what actually happens is the trade union then starts saying that, well, we didn't think your case was a good one or we forgot to do it or whatever it is. Now, your claim is not against your employer anymore. No, it's against the trade union. No, it's against the trade union, which is a lot more difficult. It's more expensive. It's difficult to pursue. You invariably need a lawyer then. You're going to need some money to go to the lawyer. And the real problem that you've got then is that can take years. So basically, if you put something to the trade union, if there's been an issue and you take it to them, you you have to take responsibility at this point and you need to be on their case all the time Absolutely. saying, where is it? How far have you got? My time is running out. What are you doing? You've almost got to become this irritation factor. I like to it's, call it that. So exactly. they, just to get rid of you, will possibly just say, oh, for heaven's sake, let's just sort it out now. But don't leave it. Follow the case all the time. And get copies. Mm. Trade unions have photocopy machines. Trade unions have um, computers. Trade unions have forms. Get copies of these forms. Get proof that it has been sent to the CCMA. Get proof that it's been sent to your ex-employer. Find out from your ex-employer if they've received your application. Don't sit back and relax saying, well, I've got a trade union, so I can now sit back and wait. Because unfortunately, we've had a number of cases like Correct. this. Correct. We've even had cases where people say, I've got insurance. Uh, I pay into a fund, uh, 50 rand a month, and I've got a lawyer on my side. And then they sit back and wait. And those insurance companies, for some reason or other, it's fallen between the cracks or it's fallen behind the cabinet and they've done nothing about it. You need to get onto it. Your, your obligation is your case. Your case has to be prosecuted properly and in time. You have to make sure that the documents have been filled in and served. And you have, just so that people know, you've got every right to ask for all that information. All the time, from the trade union, from your insurance company, from your lawyer. Uh, let's not beat about the bush. There are many attorneys that just are too busy and just don't do anything on time. And they just then start making up stories. And that can lead to years of heartache. So what you need to do is you need to make sure that the rules of the CCMA of the bargaining council, of the labor court, are properly prosecuted, and you don't know what these rules are. All you need to do is to go back to the party that is helping you, or supposedly helping you, and saying, let me have the paperwork. There's nothing stopping you as an individual, Joe Soap, who's a member of a trade union, refers the matter to the trade union, they say they're going to execute it properly, and they're going to do it properly. For you then to go behind their back, or you can even tell them that I'm going down to the CCMA just to check where we are in the system. There is a helpline. You're fully entitled to do that. And not only entitled, you're expected to do that. The CCMA expects you to follow up and find out where you are. They take great pride. The CCMA takes enormous pride in being able to tell you that we can prosecute these documents within 30 days after receiving them. So they're saying you don't take 30 days. And what they're saying is, you get it prosecuted as quickly as possible, and we will do it from our side as well. So, what I'm really saying to you is, you have an obligation as an ex-employee, as a person that wants to be a litigant, you have that obligation to prosecute it properly. You can't sit back and wait for the other side to do something. And you must smell a rat that if nothing happens within 60 days, you've got a real problem. And that 
that particular 60 days is going to go very quickly. It doesn't help to say, I've been here for six months waiting for to hear something from the trade union. That doesn't help. I know people phone us and they say, well, we've got real problems. We've been waiting for six months and my matter's in the Labour Court. Again, yes, the Labour Court is a rather lengthy business and yes, it can sometimes take two years. But there's nothing stopping you phoning the Registrar of the Labour Court who is a civil servant and he's got a staff. Well, she's got a staff. So let's take the Labour Court in Cape Town. They're a staff of seven people. You can find the Labour Court. You can go visit it. It's there in Loop Street. Go pop in. Ask to see your file. Ask to speak to someone. Say what's happened. They won't lie to you. They'll open your file and say, well, there's nothing in here. Or, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I've got no case number for you. No one's ever referred it over here. I often get, and it happened to me last week, a person phoned and said that his previous attorney had referred a matter to the Labour Court. It's taken a year and it doesn't know where it is and maybe I can take it over. I said, sure, give me your name and number and I'll get back to you. I go down to the Labour Court, there's nothing there. They've not referred, this is an attorney that's not referred it at all. And when I get hold of the attorney, they don't have any record of it. So... The idea is to not wait as long as possible and then afterwards, out of sheer exasperation, say, well, I don't know what to do. I'll now ask someone else. There's so many avenues that you can travel to make sure that you follow the correct time limits, that you have the correct person, and that you find out that your case is prosecuted properly. Because in the end, at the end of the day, this case or the thing at the CCMA, it could potentially benefit you. And to be able to get that benefit, you need to put in some of the work as well. Yes, absolutely. And of course, not only could it potentially benefit you, but you actually want to have closure. Mm. Most people come and they say they just want to know, is it fair? Is it unfair? Can we prosecute it? If we have prosecuted, did I win or did I lose? They want to have closure. They want to get on with it. A lot of people come through to my office. They are upset that they've been dismissed. They are unhappy that they've been dismissed. But if it's been correct... They want to know that. Um, as an attorney, I often sit down with people and say, listen, I've had a look at all this stuff. I've had a look what your employer does, did. And I, quite frankly, I don't think it's worth pursuing. I think that what you need to do is you need to move on, take closure, move away from this and move on. Now, there are unfortunately many agencies out there that would cheat you and say, give me some money. Let me know where, where we are and then I will pursue it for you. And you have people pursuing cases which are not fair. And I, th I think that's also unfair. Don't lie to a person. In terms of the Commission for Conciliation, Mediation, Arbitration, they do have a set of rules. Those rules are published. Um, I'm not sure if we've got them on the website, but if not, we can put them on the website. The it's it's the Facebook page. Because people keep, people keep emailing me and asking me for the website address. Uh, it's a okay. Facebook page. A Facebook page, page. sorry. I, so, no, it's fine. So what are, this is, what are we going to put up there now? The rules? The of rules the of the CCMA and the Labor Courts. And we can download those from the uh, Department of Labor. But those rules are important because in terms of those rules, in Part 1, it tells you how to calculate the time periods in terms of those rules. Okay. And I think... Most of us would like to, even if we are using lawyers or trade unions or agencies or insurance companies, most of us would like to know where we stand. Most of us believe that we need to hurry our cases on.
And the message that we want to send through tonight is don't sit back and wait. Make sure you do something. Make sure that you as an individual are part of the solution. Don't just throw your hands up and say, I've got a problem. Every problem has a solution. And all we're looking for tonight is for people to say that I've taken control of what's happened to me. I want to have a look at it. I want to get the right advice. And I want to go forward and have a case against my ex-employer. Or I want to be able to close my case and say I haven't got any rights in terms of what's happened to me over here. Let me close it. Let me get on and spend more energy and time finding my next job. At least you know. Correct. What we have spoken about is that referrals must be done to the CCMA for unfair dismissal within 30 days. There are some other dates that we need to have a look at. For instance, an unfair labor practice dispute. That must be referred to the CCMA within 90 days from the date the unfair labor practice was committed or the date the employee became aware of the unfair labor practice. In other words, you believe you've been treated differently to everyone else at the workplace. You've got 90 days from the date that you became aware. It's or nine zero days. Nine zero, so it's three months. The Labor Relations Act doesn't actually prescribe time limits for referral to conciliation of disputes other than dismissal and unfair labor practice. In other words, you've got another type of dispute which is not an unfair labor practice and it's not an unfair dismissal, then there's no actual date that is referred. But again, I say rather prosecute that earlier mm. rather than later. A, a dispute concerning an alleged unfair discrimination, obviously excluding dismissal, must be referred within six months from the date of the act or omission that allegedly constitutes unfair discrimination. In other words, someone says I'm dismissing you for a reason, that's 30 days, but someone says that we're not actually giving you an increase because you're too fat. That's an unfair discrimination because of my weight, and I then have six months to raise that with the CCMA and refer it to the CCMA for conciliation. And that's a six months. Obviously, there are all sorts of other types of discrimination. And again, that you've got six months in which to refer it. Or the date upon which you became aware of the discrimination. Often people say they talk about the glass ceiling. In other words, women, for instance, mm, can't earn more than that. Well. They won't get promoted. They can't earn more than X. If that comes to their attention and they then become aware they then got six months in which to prosecute that. You can't hang around and say, well, maybe this is one day going to go away. And then five years later, you say, look, it's clearly never going to go away. So I now have to have that fight. Again, you've got six months in which to, to do it. So you must refer it either to the CCMA, which is the Commission of Conciliation Mediation, or the particular bargaining council itself. You need to lodge that Form 711 within that six months. Well, but, but this, it's all getting very confusing now with these different types of disputes and the different amounts of time, which is why we will definitely put the rules of the CCMA up on I the Facebook page because otherwise, I mean, I'm getting confused and I'm watching you yeah. looking at it in a book here and I think we yeah. need to, but in this entire book, is that all going to be on, is that the entire thing? No, no this, is, this is a book on the rules. What I will do is I'll, I'll refer people to it. It's called The Rules of the CCMA and the Labor Courts with Explanatory Notes by Marianne Fouché. It's printed by LexisNexis Butterworths, 
Um, I'm not sure if Butterworths have this online. I think they do have, but I think you have to buy it though I online. Think you have to buy mm. it, but it is it is an interesting book because it takes the rules and it gives explanations. It gives oh right, okay. Explanatory notes. And I, as a lawyer, have been working with these rules since the inception of the CCMA. I think I was one of the first users here in Cape Town, and I still have to read. Yeah. <laughs> so feel sorry for us now. We yeah. tried to figure this out. But if I put the, just the plain rules of the CCMA they up there, it's something you can understand. That at least it's absolutely. better than nothing. Correct, it's and they're absolutely. Easy. I will also put the title of this book up on the Facebook page. So if you're wanting to get hold of a copy of this with explanatory notes, you'll have the title and all the other information that you need as well. Thank you. Well, I hope you've all got a lot of information out of that. I will be posting on the Facebook page document section. The, well, the Basic Conditions of Employment Act is already there, but I'll put up the rules of the CCMA and the rules of the Labour Courts, and you'll be able to ask for those, and I will send those to you. Well, my thanks once again this evening to Michael Bagram. He's the Practicing Managing Partner at Bagram's Attorneys, Labour Law Specialists here in Cape Town, and he's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report Programme. And Michael will be back with us again on Monday, the 5th of May, when we'll be once again taking your calls. Michael, thank you so much for joining us for this very special mid-month edition of The Law Report. Thank you. Hopefully that gives everyone the power inside their battery to make sure that they pursue their labour cases and that they don't sit back and wait for someone else to do it. Well, let's hope not. Well, just remember there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please remember to include your email address. I can send them to you. Or you can email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list so you can choose what you'd like from that. The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And in next week's program, we'll be talking about a number of different topics. Once again, we won't be taking calls, but do tune in when I'll be speaking with Leon Isaacson, Managing Director of Global Migration SA, about the new draft immigration regulations. Simon Lepps, CEO of Fonterra Digital Works, will be joining me to talk about the new electronic services regulations, which will be introducing 14% VAT on digital products and services such as e-books, music and other digital goods sold by foreign businesses. Rudolf Mahoney, head of research at Westbank, will be on the line to give us the do's and don'ts for prospective used car buyers. And lastly, I'll be chatting with attorney Craig Ashton-Smith about white-collar crime. That's the Law Report next Monday, the 28th of April. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with Health Matters, so join me then. It's time now for some nighttime music.